Amen. You can be seated this morning. Well, good morning, EVC. Very good. You guys look like you've had an extra hour of sleep today. It's amazing. Anybody think that this is the 830 service, okay? Just need to make sure that that is nobody that is here today. We're in the midst of this story, uh, this sermon series called When Life Gets Hard. And we've been talking about several things over the past several weeks as Pastor Bard has brought us messages, first of all, about this grief process. The first step in that, or the first one of the stages of that is called shock. When we experience loss of some kind, we are, we are shocked by that. And last week we talked about sorrow and what the sorrow is that surrounds our grief. Today we're going to talk about the process of struggle, what struggle actually looks like. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to move to surrender, then sanctification, and then service. We're going to talk about this process of grief. But in the midst of this, in the middle of this series, I think it's very important that we kind of reassess and remember a few things about grief. One of the things you have in your pastors at EBC, as we talk about this, as Bart has shared his own story and his own process in grief. Here's what we all know. We all have faced grief. We have all faced struggle in many different ways. And I am not unlike that. Some of you know my story. And that about three and a half years ago, my mom lost a battle to cancer. And um, as she passed away, and as I struggled with that, about three and a half months later, uh, kind of in this whole process, I chose to move away from a ministry position that I've been at since I was 21 years old. And I'd been there for 20 years. And as you can just imagine, that church and that ministry had grown significantly in the time that I had been there, and I had grown with it, and I told people this, that I didn't know where that ministry stopped and where I started, and I thought that was a healthy statement, and that was not a healthy statement. I had kind of lost who I was in the midst of those 20 years and me morphing to do and to be whatever needed to happen, and just after I had lost my mom and struggled with that grief, I got intermeshed and intermingled this grief of this loss of this ministry position that I had held for so long, and in the midst of that, I'm going into a three-year period where I'm dealing with my dad's health, that now he's lonely and struggling in the loss of my mom, and then we lost him just a little bit over a year ago. What I'm saying to you is this, is that my own story with grief is this story of struggle, because one of the things about all of these stages is these stages don't exist where you get out of one and graduate and go, okay, I'm done with sorrow, okay? Sorrow, you are behind me now, and I can move forward. No, it's not like that. I like this aspect of struggle because struggle, although it is a unique stage, it is also characteristic of kind of all of these stages mixed in where you sometimes go back to a place and you come sometimes go back to a place of shock where you're not realizing what's occurred and, and you're not sure why it's occurred. And this past week in my own life group, as we were talking through this on Wednesday, I came to the very stark realization as well that grief is not always sudden and tragic. Many times it seems to have lasted for a lifetime. Okay? There's also, if you'll take the card that Pastor Bart gave us last week, I hope that you still have that. We will probably reprint that and have that available as a resource out of this series. But I hope that you'll take that card because one of the things it talks about is when this whole idea of grief and this process is going on in our life, it happens in so many other situations than just death. Certainly any kind of loss, divorce, 
or job loss, or here's one that we haven't really talked a lot about. It's called the death of a dream. The death of a dream happens maybe when your child doesn't turn out like you thought they would. And now you're struggling with what you thought their life was going to be like, but it's not like you thought it was going to be. Maybe you thought that your life was going to be, it was on one track at one point in time. Maybe you were playing sports in high school and you went into college thinking this was going to be a career and you had a dream of what your life was going to be and then that dream died. And there's loss as a result of that dream. One of the people in my life group this week as we talked about this, it was the fact that she was now raising her grandchildren and she didn't necessarily see her life in her retiring years as being parent to her grandchildren. Well, see, that's, that's the death of, of what you thought your children might be as parents or even what you thought you might be doing at this particular stage of life that's not happening. See, this is loss, just like the death of a loved one is lost. And here's the truth. We all grieve, amen? And we all process through this. But grief doesn't have a time limit. I think it's very important that we redefine what grief actually is. There's a very simple definition, but it's a very complex activity in our life. So here's a great definition, or what I consider to be a great definition. It's not mine, so I can call it great, okay? So since it's not my definition, here's, here's a good definition of grief. It's simply this, the process that you encounter when you experience loss. Notice there's two words in there that are very important, and it is you. Why? Because grief and loss are very unique to you. And you will not experience it like anyone else. And again, many of us have this idea that we're going to experience grief and loss, and we're going to move from stage to stage, and we're going to go from one to the next, and we're never going to deal with something that we've already dealt with in the past. And that's just not the way that grief works. It goes in and out. And here's the truth. Most of us will grieve for the rest of our life because it's this process that we encounter when we experience loss. And one of the things we know about this life is that we are always going to experience loss. That loss might be a child grows up and goes away to college or goes and has their own family and they're not in our family like they once were. There's all kinds of loss and grief that we experience. And here's the other truth in this. There's no one way to experience it. And anybody that tells you that, hey, your experience needs to be just like mine is lying to you, quite honestly, because their experience is not going to be your experience. So what we're talking about are these stages, but these stages do not come sequentially in a linear fashion in your life. You will go in and out of them. So today we deal and we talk about struggle and what struggle is. And I think I can get an amen on this, and that is this. We all struggle. Amen? All right, making sure that you're awake. We all struggle. But here, we're going to deal with this message. We're going to deal with some things in a, in a little bit different way today. First of all, we're going to talk about struggle and what it is. Second thing is, we're going to look at the anatomy of a struggle. We're going to look at it in the life of Jesus, in a character, in a character trait, and how it happened in the life of Jesus and the disciples. And then we're going to deal with a big question, okay? And the big question is, why? Why do we struggle? Okay, we're going to try to walk through that in just 40 short minutes. We're going to try to do all those things, and it slices, and it dices, and it even sharpens itself if you shut. Okay, no. That was another life. That was the death of a dream. I wanted to be an infomercial guy, okay? Some of you, some of you guys, we, some of you are saying, we wish you had been an infomercial guy, okay? All right. 
So we're going to talk about struggle. But we all struggle. But here's the reason why we struggle. is because our sin created it. We can go right back to the Garden of Eden and we can discover where struggle truly began because it began with our own sin and with the sin of Adam and Eve. Look at Genesis 3.17. It says, since you listened to your wife. Amen, men? There we go. The struggle has begun, okay? Since we listened to our wives, the struggle began. No, okay? That's going to come into this, okay? Thank you for not throwing your hot coffee at me, ladies. Okay. But Genesis 3.17, we see this. Since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded, who? You not to eat. Now, guys, I am convinced of this. God gave the instructions not to eat, not to Eve, but to Adam. I am personally convinced it is not specifically laid out in Scripture this way, but I believe that it is in its absence it is there And that is, God gave the instruction to Adam. I think perhaps Adam did not relate it well to his wife, and therefore some of the things were uh, messed up with that. I got an amen. Is that an amen from you, Nathan Thornburg, on the front row? Okay. I'm convinced that's what happened. But he says this, that you were commanded not to eat, and the ground is cursed because of you. All your life, you will what? Say it with me. Struggle. To scratch a living from it. Folks, we all struggle. We struggle in our relationships. Our relationships are a struggle. Do you realize we have the young Bong baby that is right up here. Michelle and Eric Bong's little little baby is right up here on the front row. Do you realize that from our very birth, it is a struggle to go through the birth canal and to actually take that first breath is a struggle. And we have all, most of us have seen death. And we know that death is a struggle. And everything in between those two events in our life, we could say, is a struggle. We struggle in our relationships. We struggle with relationship with parent to child, from husband to wife and wife to husband, from parent to grandparent. We struggle in all our relationships. And it began in the Garden of Eden, right, with Adam and Eve and their struggle in their own relationships, even as we read here, that there was some miscommunication and there was blame involved. Immediately, Adam blames Eve. Immediately, Eve blames the serpent. And we have been blaming one another since that point. We struggle in our relationships. It went not only from the parents, but it went to the children as Cain killed Abel out of jealousy. We struggle with relationships. Second thing we struggle with is we struggle with ourselves. Remember what Adam said? I was afraid and I was naked and I hid. He had always been naked. He had always had this open relationship, not just figuratively speaking, but literally he had this open relationship with God and now all of a sudden his nakedness was not okay. He was now ashamed and he hid from God. What that tells me is we have a struggle in ourselves. We all question, why in the world? What have I done to deserve this? Why am I going through this? Why is this person not experiencing the same thing I am? We struggle with ourselves, and we see it from the Garden of Eden. Third thing we struggle with is we struggle in our jobs. You remember what the curse said. Many people think that the curse is with work. That work actually is the curse. Can I get an amen? Don't amen to that, okay? Because that's not true. 
Work was not the curse. The curse is that our work would toil against us. And now we would have difficulty in our work. Remember what Adam's job was before the fall. He had work. It was an incredibly creative job. Adam got to name all of the animals. And what incredible names. Elephant. I mean, how do you come up with that? Okay. Rhinoceros. Okay. Lemur. I mean, I don't know how you come up with all these interesting and exciting names, but that was Adam's job. And he didn't toil against it. I believe he loved that job as he saw the different animals and saw the different things that were coming in. And he named them. The curse was that his work would now toil against him. In other words, it would now be hard and difficult. It would now, as he would experience it, he would experience difficulty in his work because now the weeds would grow up. And as he went to toil the garden, it would now work against him. So we struggle with our work. We know all different kinds of struggle and what this struggle looks like. But here, let's be real honest this morning. We struggle with God. Amen? Not a lot of amens in the crowd this morning for that. Why? Because we don't think we do. No, no, not me. I would never struggle with God. Well then, thank you very much, but you're greater than most of all the characters in God's story. You remember Abraham struggled against God. Do you think it was easy for Abraham to take his son up upon a... a a mountain, to actually potentially sacrifice him? Do you think he was not arguing with God all the way in that process? Do you think David, who wrote the majority of the Psalms that we have, that 40% of the Psalms are what's called Psalms of Lament, where he's crying out to God and he's saying to God all the things that he dislikes about what's happening and how he complains to God and still takes breath after he complains to God. He's upset with everything that's going on. And David does this. David struggles in his relationship with God. Isaiah, Jeremiah, all of these prophets, Daniel, we see that each of them in their own way struggle against God and struggle with their relationship and their friendship with God. We see Job in all of these chapters that we see of Job, 32 chapters, I believe, that we see this constant story of how Job is struggling in his relationship with God and even Paul. What about this? Don't make me a heretic today, but do you realize this? That Jesus Christ struggled in his relationship with his Father. God the Father. Jesus did. Let me show you this. Remember the Garden of Gethsemane as Jesus is there before He goes to the cross with your sin and my sin upon His life. Jesus is struggling. Remember what He asked the Father. If there's any way, God, if there's any way that this cup can pass from me, but nevertheless, Your will and not my will be done in this situation. Luke 22, verse 44 says this, And being in an agony, He prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. There's something physical that happens when we're in deep anguish that literally our tears can become like blood. Actually, the blood vessels in extreme, extreme grief, if you've cried for hours, the capillaries in your eyes will literally allow blood to flow and your sweat becomes like drops of blood, those tears. Jesus was struggling with the Father. 
And here's the hope that we have today. In all of our struggle, in whatever struggle you and I are going through, here's the hope that we have. We have a Savior, Jesus Christ, the righteous Son of God, who has been tempted and struggled in every way like we have, and yet has not sinned. He knows your struggle. He knows my struggle. And He bore it with Him and upon Him on the cross. And since we have a Savior like that, it is at this point that I wanted to place our memory verse. So would you stand with me this morning? And we're going to quote what Jesus' promise is to us. I wanted to put this memory verse in context, John 16, 33, because it's in John 16 that right before John 16 comes, John 17 comes right after it, and that is where Jesus is praying for us in the garden. So let's, let's read this together today. John 16, 33. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart. Because I have overcome the world. John 16, 33. And be seated today. I want you to look at that passage. The Jesus who went before you, who's present in your life if you have a relationship with Him, has told you that you can have peace in Him. Even though He also promises us that we will have trial and sorrow in this life. You can take it to the bank. Jesus said it. It happens. You and I have experienced it. There's not a person in the room that didn't say, we all struggle. We know that we go through this. But the promise that Jesus said to us is that fear not because, and take heart, because I have overcome the world. The second thing I want us to see today is the anatomy of a struggle. I want us to see what it actually looks like. And as I I ask you to do many times is I want you to go back with me to that first century and I want to put you in the presence of Jesus Christ as He goes with His disciples. I want you to experience this today. Jesus has taught all day long and He is absolutely exhausted. I bring this up because Pastor Danny was hilarious. The first couple of weeks he was here at EVC and he did three services. He said he went home and he slept like he's never slept before. Okay, these three services back to back to back can tend to exhaust us. And Jesus had been preaching and teaching to the crowds all day long. So that's the setting that I'm putting you in today. As we go to Mark chapter 4, I want you to go in your your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. Jesus has been teaching all day long and he's exhausted. I want us to read this. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. And it says this. It says, on that day when evening had come. Now, that's very significant. We're going to come back to that in a second. He said to them. Now, who's he? Jesus said to them. Let us go across to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him up and said to him, and here's how we typically read this, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Okay, I'm sorry, folks. That is not the way that this occurred, okay? Let me put you in the setting, okay? The setting is this. It's pitch dark at night. They are in a boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, 
And the wind and the waves are turning their boat every which way. And the water is pouring into it. And the disciples do not say, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? No, it went something like this. I'm going to wake the baby up. I'm afraid. But, Teacher, we're perishing. We're going to die out here. If you don't do something, we're going to die. That is what the disciples are doing. We so pedantically just go over this and we read it and we think that this is the way that it happened. And that's not the way it happened. These disciples are scared for their life. These are men, I remind you, that grew up on this same sea fishing day in and day out. They knew it like the back of their hand. And they were scared to death. Now that's significant in this story because because of what we see in their life, it is why we can say, These disciples and Jesus himself knew what it was like to be in the midst of a storm. Now, this storm came upon them suddenly. And I know in your life and in my life, the struggles that we face aren't always sudden. Some of them are. Some some of them like death. Like a friend of mine this week in her early 60s had a surgery last week, a knee surgery. And it apparently threw a clot to her brain. And she was on the phone with her daughter one second and she was gone the next. That's a sudden death. But for others, it comes in the form of a long-term disability, in the form of raising children that you didn't expect to raise, in the form of many different things that are lifelong types of struggles. And many of you, that is exactly what you're experiencing today. And that's what Jesus was experiencing, this sudden struggle now as he's in the boat. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? The first thing I want you to see in this is that struggle is coming. Now, that's not that's probably not a point I even need to preach. But you know that. Struggle is coming. In this passage, what it says, an evening had come. Now, we know on this particular day, it's no accident I'm doing this message on this particular day because we know on this day, evening is coming even sooner than at any other time and point on our calendar up to this point, right? We know that tonight, actually the sun will set at 5.30 p.m. tonight. I kind of dislike this particular time of year when we go through time change because it's like evening just sets in. And folks, what I want you to picture is that Jesus, he goes and he is there going across the sea at night. Now these disciples knew exactly what that was like because the best time to fish was in evening because the Sea of Galilee sat in kind of a valley with a rim of mountains around it. And during the day and in the morning time and afternoon time, many winds would sweep through the Sea of Galilee, and it made for really horrible fishing. And as many of you who are truly fishermen know, that when it's calm and at night, that's many times the best time to fish. Plus, your kids don't ever want to go with you, and they don't bother you. Okay, I understand that. That's part of it as well. But the night was the best time. And so they were very accustomed to going and traversing the Sea of Galilee at night. But this night was different. Keep in mind, there's no electricity. The only light was typically the moon and the stars that would shine out and maybe a lantern of some sort that they would have or something that they could burn something and create light. But in a storm, 
none of those sources of light are available. When Mark writes that evening was coming, it is the promise that we all know. The struggle is coming. I love what Pastor Bart said in our last series. You'll remember what, it, what the statement that he made. We are either coming out of a storm, we are in the midst of a storm, or we're going into the storm. What he was talking about is that we all experience this idea of struggle. It is what life is like. And we know that the promise for us is that the struggle is coming. But with that promise that the struggle is coming comes also this verse from Psalms. Psalm 30 verse 5 which says, For his anger is what? But for a moment. And his favor is for a lifetime. And weeping may tarry for the night. The struggle may happen for the night. But what? The joy comes in the morning. Although the struggle is here, what we know when the struggle is here is that morning is also on its way. When evening comes earlier, what do we also know? Morning comes earlier. What I do love about this particular time is that when I've been getting up at 7 a.m. and going to exercise, I'm having to leave in the dark. And tomorrow morning, it will be a light. It will be light and awake, okay? We'll see that. When the night comes early, the morning comes early. You see, there's a promise here. There's a scriptural promise. When you're going through struggle, Christ is the morning. And He's always there and present. The second thing I want you to see. Struggle is coming. The second thing is not so positive as well. Struggle is here. The struggle is coming. Now the struggle is here. And here's what Jesus says. Or this is what Mark says. A great windstorm arose. It's as if they started in on their journey across the Sea of Galilee and everything was calm. And all of a sudden, a great storm arose. Why do we know that? Well, likely, if the storm had begun before they left, they wouldn't have gotten out. But because now they are halfway across the Sea of Galilee and now the windstorm comes up. You see, the storm and the struggle is now here. Now, this brings us to a point where we have to ask some key questions about this text. So I want you to go back and be looking at Mark chapter 4. Look at it in front of you and let me ask you these questions. Had the disciples done something wrong by being in the boat? Yes or no? No. Why? Because Jesus is the one who told them to get into the boat, right? So they weren't doing anything wrong by being in this situation, by actually being in the boat. And why is that significant for us? For many of us, when we're going through struggle, what we begin to do is ask the question, what have I done wrong, God, to deserve this? We think that we've done something wrong in order to be going through this struggle. And that is not the case in this story. And for most of your cases, that is not the case. Unless God is trying to get your attention, if you're in absolute disobedience to Him, or you have traveled away from Him, or you have never sought Him, and He is doing everything He can to bring you back to, to Him in, in that, this way and place of life, then I believe that you are in this storm, not because you've done something wrong, but simply because He wants to show you something good. The second question. Did the disciples do something to cause the windstorm? Was Peter fighting with his brother Andrew and Jesus got upset and brought the windstorm? No. Was James and, uh, James and John fighting with Peter and Andrew and were, were these two brothers, sets of brothers fighting? No. They weren't doing anything to bring this storm onto them by, by virtue of nature what was going on in their lives. And the third question is this. Were they running from Jesus? No. How do we know that? Because Jesus is in the boat. 
Jesus is in the boat with them. He told them to get in the boat. He knew that the storm was going to happen. And what is Jesus doing? He's asleep. Now, I want you to think about this. Yes, it was physical exhaustion. But what does this have to say about what Jesus wants to bring us to in our life? Jesus wants us not to just be in the storm, but to be calm in the midst of the storm. But why? Because he's with us. What I want you to do today is I want you to envision your life as the boat. Okay? Your life in this story is the boat itself. And if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, Jesus is in the boat with you. Amen? He is there. He was with you before the storm occurred in your life. Before the struggle ever happened, He was with you. In the midst of your struggle, guess what? Jesus is in the midst of your struggle with you. And when there's calm again, where is Jesus? He's right in the midst of you, the boat. But here's what we see in this story. In this story, what we see is that when the storm is going on and it's in somebody else's boat, I think the disciples were just fine with that. But when the storm began to come into their boat, that's the, the way we find them in this story. Amen. It says the wind and the waves began to come into the boat. And this is a description of many of our lives right now. Amen. The storm's going on. When it's going on in somebody else's life, I can stand on this side and go, well, I'm really sorry that that's happening. But when it's going on in the midst of your life, it's a whole nother deal. And folks, where we're at today is that we have struggles in our life and the water is coming in and we feel inundated by all these things that are happening to us and we don't know which way to turn. So what does this say that we should do? We need to turn to Christ. And that's the third thing I want us to see in this. We see next is that we recognize who is in our boat. Jesus Christ is in your boat. Now, for some of you today, unfortunately, that statement is not true. You've never come to the place in your life where you've invited Christ to be your Savior and Lord. And because of that, when you go through struggle, you feel all alone. And the loneliness that you feel is the absence of the Savior of this world. And what I want to offer you today, as probably has been offered to you before, is a relationship with Him. That when Jesus is in your boat, it doesn't mean that you won't go through storms and that you won't go through struggles. But that when you go through the storms and struggles of life, you will never, ever be alone in this boat. I see people shaking their heads because they know that Christ is going with them. Folks, we're going to go through struggles. We are going to agonize over what happened. We are going to feel good about it some days, and we are going to hate it on other days. And I have hated it in my life at times. And I have been turned upside down and not known which way to go. I have been emotionally just dealing with some of the things in my own life because I've got to be perfectly honest with you in this process of grief. Although it's very unique to everyone, I'm not sure that I really grieved properly in my own situations. When my mom passed away, I did her funeral. I was automatically in pastor mode, taking care of my family, and I actually did the service. And I moved immediately from that to taking care of my dad, from immediately to that to moving in this ministry position that I talked about. And I'm not sure that I ever, in a real positive way, went through the processes that we're talking about. And so what this has brought, as we've been going through this as a series, 
I've been thinking about this in my own life. How do I need to go back and make sure that I am grieving properly these losses? Because here's what we know. When the struggle's taking place in our life, it is going to affect us. The question is, when is it going to affect us? We might be able to keep a stiff, stiff upper lip for a while, but eventually it's going to come back to us. It's like a friend of mine that is experiencing this right now. Many of you will, will understand this. Her name is Becky, and Becky right now, she lost her mom this year, and that was one loss. And soon after that, she lost her job. Soon after that, she her third child, her youngest daughter, went to college. Now, how many of you have ever, your last child has gone off to college, and there's a significant different kind of loss, okay? How many of you are middle children, okay? Your parents didn't care when you went to college, okay? I'm just telling you. No, I'm, I'm just teasing. That is not true. But there is something unique when that first child goes, and there's something very unique when that last child goes, and there's something very unique for all you middle, kid, middle kids as well, okay? All right, some of you are now struggling and disliking me right now. I understand that. I feel that. I feel your, I feel your struggle with me. But she, her, her youngest child went to college, and then her middle daughter, 27-year-old daughter, 27 years old, has breast cancer. This happened within six months. You don't think she feels like she's in a storm? But what? But I have great news for Becky and I have great news for you. Is that Jesus Christ is in your boat. He's with you in the middle of it. He wants to help you to know that He's always with you. Now, I have misquoted this passage. And I'm going to take a show of hands in just a second. How many of you have ever said... That this passage, it says, God won't give me more than I can handle. Or God won't give me more than I can bear. You've said that with great fervency. Okay, raise your hand because I'm raising mine. Okay, that is a misquotation. You know what that passage is about? Temptation. Let's read it. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can what? Endure it. Here's the truth about struggle. God always wants to give you more than you can bear. Why? Because He's in the boat with you. And if he's, He does not give you more than you can bear, you know what you're going to do? You're going to be paddling your boat right across your own Sea of Galilee. All right? And if the storm never comes up, it never arises, I don't need God. I don't need Him in this situation. But when the storm arises, you have a desperate need for God. And that's always the place where God wants us to be. He wants us to be in a place where we not only realize that He's in the boat, but we ask Him to intervene in our life situation. Amen? God wants us to remember that He's in our boat with us. The last thing for this stage of our journey in this this morning is we need to rest in His power and not in our struggle. That's what the disciples did. They rested in Christ's power because they knew they couldn't do this on their own. They were experienced fishermen, but they couldn't get themselves out of this situation. And Jesus had to intervene. And so He stood up and just like He created, He calmed the storm. Just like He created the oceans, He calmed the oceans. 
And then he questioned their faith. And I think what he was saying to them is essentially this. My beloved men, do you not realize that you had this power within you the whole time? I'm in your boat. The wind and storms may come, but here's the deal. I'm with you before, I'm with you in the middle, and I'm with you after. Last week, Pastor Bart talked about Lazarus and how God, how Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And in our life group this week, as we were talking about that, came to some really interesting conclusions. You realize what that meant for Lazarus? Lazarus had to die twice. Okay, did you ever think about that? Mary and Martha are scurrying around. They are upset with Jesus that he allowed Lazarus to die. You know what Lazarus? Lazarus had to experience death twice. Okay? That really stinks, literally, okay? It really is an awful thing. Lazarus knew exactly what was happening. Hey, no worries, folks, because I'm dying, okay? I've done it once before. I know I'm an experienced dyer. I know how to do this, okay? Just stay away. Keep the crowds at bay. It's okay. I can die. Lazarus had to die twice. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He said that before he raised Lazarus. I think this is what Jesus was saying. I'm the resurrection and the life, whether I raise Lazarus from the dead or not. I am in the midst of your boat, and I can calm your storm, and I can be with you in the midst of your storm and allow you to get through it. I am the power that you need. You just need to realize that I am here with you in the middle of your boat of your life. That's the truth that God wants to give us in this struggle. The final section of this message, and keep stepping back there. The final passage that I want to share with you is simply to answer this question. Why am I going through struggle? Is that a question that most of us ask? Certainly a question I ask. But I think this passage in Romans gives us a very clear understanding of why we go through struggle. And quickly, I want to give you this. Before I do that, I want to give you this great quote from Corey Ten Boom. I forgot this. Listen to this. You're going to want to write this one down because it comes from a lady who's lived it in her life. And she's with Jesus today. Corey Ten Boom, who experienced the Holocaust, experienced uh, in, in a death camp and came through it and lived, and then experienced forgiveness on the other side of the Holocaust, which is amazing in and of itself, says this. There is no pit so deep that his love isn't deeper still. We can adjust that a little bit. There is no struggle in your life that is so big that Christ's steadfast love is not strong enough to get you through. Amen? Rest in His power in his, because He is in your boat. All right, Romans chapter 5. Why do we go through struggle? Listen to this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into His grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Okay, rewind. Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Really? That's exactly what Paul says. We rejoice in our sufferings. But why? How? How do we do that? Knowing this, that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit 
who has been given to us. Four quick things in this. First of all, our position has been secured in Christ. Our position is secured in Christ. Remember Jesus in our boat. He was... He justified us. He took our sin with Him on the cross. So everything in our past is gone. He's forgiven it. He Now we stand in Christ today. This is a process of sanctification that we are sanctified in Christ. We are His. We weren't just His before. He didn't just solve our sin problem before. He solves it today. We are positioned in Him. And we have this hope of the glory of God that is not just heaven then, but it's heaven beginning now in my life. Our position is securing Christ. This past week, Allison wanted to go to a haunted house. And her sister implored her, begged her not to go. Now, Kara has never been to a haunted house herself, all right? But she just knew it was a scary thing. She had, her friends had told her this. Actually, Jennifer had told her, told her the story that one of her friends in college actually urinated on herself as she went through a haunted house. And so we're trying to convince Allison, we don't really think that you want to do this. But Allison came up with this great understanding statement. If I know I'm going to be okay when I leave the haunted house, why do you think I'm going to be scared in the midst of it? Now that's, that's powerful. When we know we're secure in Christ, why, how come we can't go through whatever it's going to take once we're on the other side? Now, we all know that life at the end of the haunted house and life in the haunted house are two totally different things, all right? We have, sca- we have jumped like little schoolgirls when we were in the haunted house, okay? I can personally attest to that. So what's the, what's the truth for us? We still go through struggle, and in the midst of our struggle, we get our eyes off the end goal that we're going to be okay. We do that. That's because we're human, and I do that too. But the truth is that our position is secured in Jesus Christ. But then we get to the meat of this. And the second thing is this. Suffering in- produces endurance. Imagine, if you would, a world where there is nothing that is the slightest bit evil, unpleasant, or difficult. Everything there is always easy. Nothing takes effort. Nothing ever goes wrong. People are going, you're saying, oh, I want to go to a place like that. But do you really? Is that really what you experience life? Listen, there would be nothing to stretch us or challenge us, nothing to develop our personalities. Without any dangers, we would never learn courage. Without risk and problems, we would not learn how to trust. Without people wronging us, we would not learn grace or understand forgiveness or mercy or the love of enemies. To develop the full human potential and personhood, we need to live in a world where bad things happen. We need to live in a world of struggle because here's the truth. If we did not have struggle, we would not know endurance. There would be no need for the word endurance because you would not have to endure anything. I explained this to a friend a couple weeks ago in that if I were a king and I had people who waited on me hand and foot, I would never know what it's like to struggle in life. Would I really be living? Would I really know if I didn't have any struggles whatsoever? But here's what we know about this. Suffering brings endurance. To push through the first day is difficult. You string together several days and you have a week. You string together several weeks and before you realize it, a year has passed from that big event of struggle or grief or loss. This is what we call endurance. You didn't know how you were going to do it, but you took the first step 
into the next phase of your life. You didn't want to do it. You didn't like doing it. It was hard. It was difficult. But I'm looking at a group today who are people who understand obedience. Why? Because you're here. You took a next step when you didn't have to. You understood that suffering somehow innately in your life, suffering would bring and it has brought endurance for you. The next thing we see is suffering not only produces endurance, but endurance produces character. We know that growth in any area of our lives takes effort. Every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday that I'm not too much of a chicken or a sissy, I get up and I go and work out with my friend named Peter. If Peter were not there and would tell me, and if he would not text me and tell tell me I'm a sissy, if I didn't show up, I wouldn't go and show up and do CrossFit. I wouldn't do it because I hurt after it, and it hurts when I do it. But I do it, and what happens? When we break down our muscles, what happens? We get stronger. We lose some fat. We eat more chips, but nevertheless, okay. doesn't relate to today, maybe tomorrow. But what happens? Our character is strengthened when we take the next step into endurance. When we endure something, we're strengthened. When we break down those muscles, greater cells come back and they are built stronger. The same is true in your life. When you endure, it produces character. C.S. Lewis said this, the death of a beloved one is like an amputation. The wound may heal, but that does not mean that you will not walk with a limp. Your character, when you go through something, you may limp afterwards, you may struggle afterwards, but you still keep going forward because your character has been revealed. I like to look at it like this, that what happens is God gives us innately when He created us His character. And then we build up all kinds of life of sin and struggle around us. And this suffering in our life and the endurance begins to wear off these layers so that what's left looks like the character of God that He intended for us initially. You see, suffering and endurance in suffering brings the character of God that's in us. Everything good comes from God. For the Christian, I know that this is true. Remember what happened with Job? This is how it was revealed. Isn't this what Satan is indicating in this? Job 1.11 says this, But stretch out your hand, God, and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to his face, or to your face. That's not what happened with Job. When Job went through suffering, what was revealed was not what Satan said would be revealed, that he would curse God. Job shined because he held true to God. His character was revealed. And the final stage of why is simply this. Character produces hope. When your suffering develops within you and you have the will and the power of Christ to stand through it and endure it, and the character of God is revealed in you, then you see that character in yourself and you're reminded that He's in you. He's in your boat. A couple of weeks ago, we had tickets to the Lion King. Our family went. I love the Lion King. I love the story. My favorite part of the story is when Simba, the young lion cub, has grown up and he forgets who he was. He forgets what had happened. He is, he is held in and bound by the shame of his life and what it had ended up to that point. And then this monkey comes along. His name is Rafiki. And Rafiki says to Simba, you need to remember who you are. 
because he is in you. He's talking about his father, Mufasa. He's saying he is in you. The reason I love that, because I think it's a beautiful picture of who God is. And what he wants us to understand is that he is in us. And because he's in us, we always have hope. I'm a firm believer in this. Heaven is great, and one day we'll be there, but that's not all it is. Heaven has begun in me. Has it begun in you? When Christ comes into our life, heaven begins in you. And the character working process through the suffering and through the struggle of your life continues to reveal his character in you till one day it looks so much like Jesus. And we go and we go to be with him. It's not such a distance because at the end of our life, we've been faithful. And the distance from life on this earth to life present with him doesn't seem so far because our life has been refined in the fires of struggle in our life. Would you pray with me today? Some of you today, when I, with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you would just think about this. When I talked about Jesus being in your boat, you knew the Holy Spirit of God impressed upon you. That's not me. Jesus is not in my boat. If that's you today, then I want to give you the best news that I could possibly give anyone, and that is, that doesn't have to be you. Christ can be in your life today. You can ask Him to come in, and He promises He will. Every truth that I have shared today can be true of you if you will just acknowledge your own sin, that you cannot make it on your own, and ask Him to come into your life. That can be true of you. Man, I hope you'll do that today. Others of you are struggling with something. You're in the midst of a struggle right now. If that's you today, you know that's that's you and you're in the midst of that struggle. Would you just lift your hand and you're confessing it to God, not to me. Just confess it to God right now. Lift your hand and you put it right back down. Just by doing that in a bodily form, you experience that. Thank you. I want to pray over us. Father, I ask for these that have lifted their hands and maybe for those who haven't, that you would reveal your purpose and presence in their lives. God, may they see you in the midst of their struggle. Would they see that you are in the boat and that your calm and rest that you're experiencing, you want them to experience because they're your child. Give them your hope. Allow your character to be revealed in them. And allow your presence to shine forth in all that they are. be seen in them. Father, we just thank you that you love us. I pray for those that your spirit would just work on those who don't know you, that today they would not be able to leave, not be able to go into tomorrow without getting right with you and inviting you to come into their life. Lord, for these others, I just pray that you would strengthen them and they would sense your